rhyming chose me. So I hit the track running like a nosebleed. Life ain't great now, but it's much improved. Yo, album dropping this summer, that sucks for you. Cause this is Bubba's moment. I put my mother on it. I said my mama, and it seems as if I love her, don't it? So buckle up. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4's Senior DFS Editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always, well, not as always, because he actually missed last week, but he's back, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? What's good, Chris? It's good to be back. Uh... I mean, when when you leave work for a week, they say you're supposed to come back refreshed. I just felt stressed out that I wasn't looking at football stats and not talking about football. So uh, not even refreshed, just back to my normal life. I feel you, man. Joe Hoka, you know, he did a good job. I think he was trying to Wally Pip you. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, he crushed it. <laughs> but we're back. DFS MVP is reunited. The music that played us in today was Mr. Bubba Sparks, Ugly of Dark Days, Bright Nights. This is a good one, man. I remember when this came out, I I was just like, who is this other white rapper besides Eminem <laughs> that also has good music? It was totally different kind of music than M, but um, really do like this song. Uh, it was only right if you picked the song your first week back. Yeah, well, I mean, last week you guys tried to go with something with a little country twist, and when I saw that on Twitter, I, I actually, this is the first song that popped in my head, so I figured I would uh, throw this out to Holka so he can learn some more good rap music, and then also, pro- probably fitting uh, that we got a song today where the hook is, it's about to get ugly, um, considering the going-ons of the country, but this is a football podcast, so we'll keep it to football. Yeah, it is Wednesday, November 9th, where we are recording the day after Election Day, which we shall not speak of (laughs) (laughs) going forward. Uh, Saw just about enough coverage of that yesterday, so we're going to leave that alone, and let's get right into the 4 for 4 championship on DraftKings last week. It's available this week. Every week, you're playing for a qualifier seat, um, and then there will be a championship. I believe it's in week 14. So last week, the winner was Buck Falk Buck, so congratulations to him. His lineup scored 207.1 points, actually outscored the second-place lineup by almost 13 full points, so he crushed it. His lineup was Rivers, Zeke, Mel Gordon, Antonio Brown, Rashard Matthews at 1%. That was a really great play. Uh, Allen Robinson, Antonio Gates, Latavius Murray, another really great play, and the Raiders. So I really love this lineup. Uh, big congrats to Buck Falk Buck. Um, just a great lineup combining both Latavius and Rashard Matthews, a couple of multi-touchdown scorers that were owned under 2% in the 4 for 4 championship i had no such luck my best lineup finished 13th um everyone in my lineup was pretty good except charkandrick west of course in that lineup so that's how it goes if you guys want to sign up for the 4 for 4 championship 
You guys can go to 444.com, and on the right-hand side of the page under DFS, you will see a link, so go sign up for that. I'll tweet it out, usually around Sunday morning. Um, There's usually still a few spots to fill um, on Sunday morning, so I'll tweet that out, but make sure you guys go and check that out. Did you play this week, TJ? Yeah, I, I mean, come on now. I was gone, but I wasn't just. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't dead. I got <laughs> back. Uh, I got back Friday night and had uh, enough time with all my. Still got some research in. Still got uh, my four for four tools to help me out. And um, yeah, I, I had some time to to play. Uh, actually, had uh, quite a few of the plays from that we saw from the winner in the four for four championship, but I didn't put the pieces together quite as well. As well, um, Shark Hendrick fell quite a bit of my lineups. Uh, one of my worst weeks of the year, but I mean, that's how this game goes. And the next week, it can make your whole season. So uh, just keep keep after the process. Right. And, you know, unlike Hillary Clinton, you can come back from this. Oh, wait. I thought we, weren't <laughs> yeah. supposed to, we weren't supposed to do that. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's go right into our quarterbacks. This one is a guy who... Looking at his stats, you know, I know he's been doing good lately, but I didn't realize he was the QB3 in points per game over the last five weeks. Marcus Mariota, 7,400 on FanDuel, 5,700 on DraftKings, and he's at home against the Green Bay Packers. The game has an over-under of 49.5. That is one of the highest on the slate. The Packers are a funnel defense. They're allowing the seventh most passing yards per attempt at 7.9 and the second fewest yards per carry on the ground at 3.3. So I like Mariota to continue to be one of the highest scoring QBs in this game. It's it's another opponent where the Titans probably have some trouble stopping on defense and that's really I think what gives Mariota his ceiling when the Titans are forced to throw somewhat more than probably they would like to because they're forced to score a lot of points we saw it last week with San Diego we've seen it with a team like Indianapolis so Green Bay another solid offense even on the road to where I think Mariota will have to put the ball in the air and he's also shown some some rushing chops as of late, so like Mariota as a pretty cost-effective play at QB in a week where some of the studs are in some tough matchups and uh, there's no real slam dunk play at QB, I would say. TJ? Yeah, I like that call a lot. I'm actually going to touch on that a little bit coming up, but um, my guy this week is Cam Newton. Uh, priced a little bit higher than probably some some of the other guys that might be a, a little more popular. Jay Cutler will probably be a popular play. Uh, Cam Newton, 7,800 on FanDuel, 6,800 uh, on DraftKings. Favored by three at home against Kansas City. Uh, we'll be talking about this quite a bit. We've talked about it in the past. You actually just mentioned it with Mariota. When we're looking at fantasy stats uh, in the middle of the season, Looking somewhere in like the five to seven week, past five to seven week range, um, spe- specifically six weeks is, has been found to be the, the highest correlated with most predictive um, past data uh, for what's going to come up in the future. Obviously, case by case basis, but uh, rough rough estimate will be looking at past six weeks of data uh, for the most part. So over the last six weeks, Kansas City has allowed the second highest touchdown rate of any team on the main slate to opposing quarterbacks. 
the third highest fantasy points per attempt to opposing quarterbacks and the highest touchdown rate in the red zone. So all those uh, numbers are somewhat correlated, a little bit redundant there, but just going to show that uh, even though you might see their overall ranking or full season ranking uh, pretty high, even in adjusted fantasy points allowed, if we just look at the last couple of weeks um, or the last six weeks, they've really been struggling against quarterback. Last year, Cam Newton had the highest touchdown rate in the league. It was really, really high, uh, one that wasn't sustainable. We did expect some regression, but uh, it's kind of overcorrected so far this year. Over the last six weeks, it's just 3.1%. For his career, Cam has been slightly above average. Uh, the league average usually hovers around 4.5%. Cam's career has been somewhere in the 55 to 5.7% range. Obviously, last year was 7%, but... Uh, given that his touchdown rate is below where we'd expect it to be, he has guys like uh, Kelvin Benjamin and, and Greg Olson that can convert those red zone looks. I think this is a spot against a team that is giving up a high touchdown rate where he can really get right. And um, th- this is just looks like one of those great spots to me where people are looking at stats, looking at what Cam has done, uh, looking at KC raw stats. And if you overlook those touchdown rates, um, that's really where you can find some hidden value. I don't, I'm not saying Cam's just going to go completely ignored and be low owned. Um, but this looks a lot like the, um, our early getting on, on Russell Wilson last year because of very similar reasons, uh, matchups getting very good. So I, I love Cam this week. Yeah, I like him too. I think it's it's a lot of it has to do with his price and just his rushing floor because his FanDuel price it peaked at ninety three hundred mm-hmm. and that wasn't even that long ago. That was uh, about five weeks ago, and you know now it's it's down fifteen hundred uh, from that price. It's the lowest it's been since week two of last season. And about his touchdown rate. I think one of the things last year that really helped his touchdown rate was the defense playing really well and giving him some short fields. And I think it's a good sign for him that the defense has started to play a lot better coming out of the bye. I believe they have 12 sacks over the last two weeks. So um, anytime the defense can make a play and, you know, if Cam Newton's attempting passes from closer to the goal line, I think his touchdown rate will increase. So really like Cam this week as well. And yeah, I don't think he'll be crazily owned because you know the spot doesn't jump out at you but cam usually plays better at home as well so um do like cam my key stat for quarterbacks is philip rivers has 12 more red zone passing attempts than any other quarterback in the nfl he has 73 red zone passing attempts this season tj yeah, my key stat is about uh, the guy that you mentioned, Marcus Mariota. If we take away rushing stats from quarterbacks, uh, just look at their pass attempts. Over the last six weeks, Marcus Mariota ranks 10th in fantasy points per game, but he ranks 4th in fantasy points per pass attempt. Uh, so really good fantasy efficiency there for Mariota. Definitely. Um, a lot of interesting situations for quarterbacks this week, as I mentioned. So I guess we'll start at the top of the salary Spectrum, TJ, I feel like we talk about this every week because it's pretty fascinating to me, just the kind of evolution and subsequent regression of this offense. But how are you feeling about Aaron Rodgers on the road this week in Tennessee? Uh, We saw the Packers have success a few weeks ago with the short passing game, kind of abandoning the running game. But then it seemed like the next couple of weeks, Rodgers was still throwing his touchdowns, but the yardage was, was going down. Um, so how are you feeling about him on the road this week? 
Yeah, so this is actually interesting you asked because this is kind of the uh, the opposite of what I just mentioned with Marcus Mariota. Over the last six weeks, um, Aaron Rodgers ranks fifth in, in uh, fantasy points per game if we look just at pass attempts, but 13th in fantasy points per attempt. So his efficiency in terms of fantasy scoring through the air is actually a little bit lower than what his raw numbers look like. And even though we do like Mariota, Tennessee still is near the top of the league in terms of how many touches or the, per- the percentage of touches they're giving to their running back. So if they do slow this game down, where Aaron Rodgers has been relying on volume a little bit, we're not used to that. We kind of are used to him being very efficient. Um, if he's not efficient like he hasn't been, uh, he might be just average and like he, he'll probably still be good, but not great to what you're looking for when you're rostering an Aaron Rodgers type. Yeah, it's, looking at his game logs are crazy. This season, he's only hit seven yards per attempt twice. And then if you go back to last season, he's only done it, uh, I believe, once in the past, no, twice in the past, three times in the past 15, 16 games. So it's just a new new thing for him. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't. I think I'll probably have a bit of exposure in tournaments, but not not much. You know, I've I, I like to play him more so at Lambeau. I think he always has that touchdown upside um, with Jordy Nelson. But it's it, just at the salary he's at, it's it's really tough to justify a, a lot of exposure there. Um, Tom Brady versus the Seahawks now. The Patriots have a pretty high implied total. Uh, it's hovering around 28. They're at home against the Seahawks. TJ, how are you feeling about Brady versus Seattle? Yeah, he's a guy that I'm probably going to want um, some exposure to because Vegas is telling us that Patriots are going to put up a good number against the Seahawks. I actually started doing some uh, research late Sunday night, so the line wasn't out on this game, and I was actually pretty surprised when it came out at 7.5 in favor of the Patriots. So looking at a 28-point implied total for them, if they do put up that number against Seattle, that most likely means that Brady's going to have some success. Um, They're not just going to hand off to LeGarrette Blunt and score 28 points. So even though uh, Seattle has been pretty good overall against quarterbacks, uh, both in real football and fantasy terms, uh, we've seen them struggle a little bit in the past couple weeks. Uh, obviously, if if a team is going to succeed against Seattle and uh, find ways to exploit them, they've historically been exploited uh, in the middle of their defense. We know we could see some Gronk, Edelman, Amendola uh, get loose on this defense. I think it's going to be Tom Brady and company. So I'll have some, some Brady, not in cash or anything, but um, I think he'll definitely be in the rotation. Yeah, I like Brady this week. Uh, Rich Rebar, who writes a great article called The Worksheet, which you guys should check out, noted that Seattle's been giving up pretty much an, an average amount of passing points to quarterbacks over these last few weeks. You know, early in the season, they were really shutting everything down, but um, they've sprung some leaks lately, and their run defense is still very strong. So I agree with that. I think the Patriots, especially with all their weapons healthy, um, they even might get Deion Lewis back. We're not, we're not sure mm-hmm. yet, but... They're going to have ways to get matchups that they want on the Seahawks. We've seen them do it a couple years ago in the Super Bowl where they got Gronk on a linebacker. You know, they got Amendola into the end zone for a touchdown. They got Edelman into the end zone for a touchdown. So I don't think this is a matchup where it's just going to be a 10-7 game. I think the Patriots are going to be able to to have some success uh, coming off the bye week 
and I think the, uh, Tom Brady will probably be pretty well owned. So I, Tom Brady will probably be one of my higher higher exposures in in GPPs this week. Another similar situation is we have Drew Brees at home in the Superdome where we know he plays really well, but he's going against the Denver Broncos defense, which, while they have sprung some leaks on the ground, most notably last week to Latavius Murray, they have defended the pass pretty well, though. Aqib Tlaib, not sure about his health. How are you feeling about Brees in the Dome against this Denver defense, TJ? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely going to hinge on the health of the Denver secondary, but kind of just going back to my initial once-over of the week, uh, the first thing that kind of popped out to me is this game looks like it's going to have a pretty decent total, especially for the Saints. And I think people are naturally going to, on first instinct, look at this and say, oh, Denver's a good defense, Um, avoid Breeze. But New Orleans at home kind of, uh, overtakes that, especially if we just see how Denver has been playing the last couple weeks. Um, y- yes, on the ground, and New Orleans does, uh, they actually have been favoring their running backs a lot, but they're projected to put up a tw- uh, 25 points, and they're just a different team at home. They've been uh, insanely efficient. Um, Drew Brees' numbers over the past few weeks are he's really the only guy that's uh, sniffing like Tom Brady territory. Matt Ryan's right there too, but uh, he's playing really well, and We've talked about, I mean, maybe more than anything on 4 for 4 about uh, Drew, Drew Brees and the Saints splits at home. So I like Brees just because I think people are going to overestimate uh, how good Denver is. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I do like Brady more than Brees because mm-hmm. I think that just the way they're, they're both pretty elite defenses, but the way you beat Seattle is more so through the air, whereas I think Oakland kind of exposed the Broncos as a team that you beat on the ground. I know Bradley Roby has been getting lit up in coverage lately, but I still think I think the I think the uh, Saints actually will run the ball a lot. Now they have Hightower in the rotation. Mm-hmm. They have Ingram. So I think this could be a game where Breeze puts up decent numbers, but I would bet on a ceiling game for Brady over a ceiling game for Breeze. Like I could see Breeze with something more like, you know, 270 and two touchdowns, whereas I could see Brady hitting the 300-yard mark and potentially getting three touchdowns. So I'll definitely, I'll have more exposure to Brady than Breeze, but we'll have some exposure to Breeze because I think you always have to at home. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned, TJ, the, the Denver secondary is probably not going to be at full strength. A couple more quarterbacks I want to talk about quickly. Ben Roethlisberger at home. Are you interested? I know he wasn't healthy last week, although, I mean, he did rush for a touchdown, so that's pretty interesting considering he uh, (laughs) he supposedly had a bum knee. But my my view on the Steelers is that they just continue to lay eggs on the road Mm -hmm. and play well at home. What are you thinking about Big Ben this week? Yeah, I mean... (sighs) Dallas has actually been a been pretty decent in terms of uh, rates, uh, touchdown rates, fantasy points allowed to uh, to quarterbacks. They're kind of middle of the road if we adjust it for strength of schedule. So it's not like it's a daunting matchup. Um, Steelers have been pretty pass heavy uh, when they get near the goal line. Uh, they have a pretty attractive implied point total. I think if I do want exposure to Big Ben this week, I'm probably just going to get it through Antonio though interesting yeah i'm i think antonio is cash game viable anytime he's at home mm-hmm. and i'll probably be playing him uh, almost 
and everywhere in cash. Um, I do like Ben this week. Oh, I think I think kind of the public perception is, hey, the Steelers laid an egg last week. Ben's probably not healthy. And I, I know some people like to bring up the Cowboys and their ball control. And that's definitely an issue. But with an offense like Big Ben, where they're, they're a quick strike offense. Like, you don't mm-hmm. need many passing attempts for Antonio Brown and even Sammy Coates to, to hit big plays. And I, I, I like Ben's price tag. I think it's pretty reasonable. He's under 8K on FanDuel. And I'll, I'll have I'll have exposure to Ben. His home splits are ridiculous. Um, I'm not. I think another thing that's interesting is the Dallas defense lost a couple of players in their secondary. Mo Claiborne, Barry Church, a couple of weeks ago. They played the Browns last week, and the Browns just aren't a team that really tests you in, in in terms of your secondary. So I think it'll be a whole kind of a rude awakening this week for the for the Cowboys. So I do like Big Ben. I probably like Big Ben uh, more than Breeze, actually. And one final quarterback I wanted to talk about because I was looking at his price on FanDuel especially. I think he was 7400 And after watching him on Monday night, Russell Wilson, what are you thinking here? I mean, he did rush for a touchdown, uh, you know, last week. So now he's going to be in this game against the Patriots. If we think that Tom Brady has a chance to succeed against the Seahawks defense, and I mean... If any offense has a chance to succeed, maybe besides the Falcons, I think it would be the Patriots. So what are you thinking about Russell Wilson this week in New England? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be in a situation where if game script goes as expected, they're going to have to throw. Um, I mean, we obviously hope Russell Wilson's getting his legs back under him, not just uh, figuratively, but literally in terms of getting some of that rushing. We saw him uh, get loose a couple times, get a couple of those uh, 10-yard scampers for first downs. He had a rushing touchdown. So you obviously love to see that. And uh, if if they are in a spot where um, they are going to have to be throwing, I, I actually really like, uh, like him as a, a leverage play against Brady if you're just going to stack that game. Uh, playing Wilson instead of Brady is a pretty interesting play for me. And I think one that I, I might uh, want to go for because uh, I'm going to touch on a stat a little bit later here, but um, I'm not scared of, of Seattle's pass offense right now. Yeah, not at all. I think I liked what I saw out of Wilson last week. And on the, at the same time, their offensive line is really bad. And when your mm-hmm. offensive line is really bad, usually it's harder to run than pass because nowadays in the NFL with all these rules – with the illegal contacts and the defensive holding, you can kind of execute a quick passing game and have some success. And that's kind of what the Seattle Seahawks have had to do. You know, they'll throw to Graham, they'll throw to Baldwin, and they're just not running as much. And they're also talking about giving C.J. Procise mm-hmm. a lot more playing time. And while he, he has issues in pass protection, if he's going out there as a pass catcher for Russell Wilson, then you know I think that also improves Wilson's outlook because CJ can make things, some things happen. So I do like Russell this weekend in a game that could be a sneaky, sneaky shootout. But let's get on to to running backs. We spent a lot of time on quarterbacks. David Johnson is in a dream spot this week. Ninety four hundred on Fanduel, eighty four hundred on DraftKings. He is the RB1 in points per game on the season. He has the most PPR points per snap of any running back with six, averaging 16 or more touches per game. And you can check that out by going to the 4for4.com player touches app. And Johnson, 
third in the NFL in touches per game at 23.9. The 49ers allowing the most schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs by over three full points in PPR. The 49ers have allowed 170 or more rushing yards in five straight games. They have been allowing multiple running backs to put up very useful fantasy scores um, almost week in and week out. We've seen it with Jaquiz Rogers and, and Barber in Tampa. We've seen it with Hightower and Ingram last week for the Saints. The 49ers are allowing 5.47 yards per carry, two running backs on the season. And on top of that, the Cardinals are a double-digit home favorite, which we know is the best possible situation for a running back to be in. So nothing to not like about David Johnson this weekend. TJ? What what do you think David Johnson's ownership will be? <laughs> oh, man. Probably, I'd say, <clears throat> hold on, let me clear my throat. <clears throat> yeah, David Johnson's ownership, I would say, would be in the 30s to 40s. I don't know if it'll hit 50 only because he's pretty expensive, even more expensive mm-hmm. than Zeke was last week. And I think it's pretty much around the same spot, probably a little better for Johnson. But I think it'll peak around maybe 40, 45. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds about right. That's it's such a high percentage for such an expensive player. Um it's almost tempting to be underweight on him just because he's so expensive and so highly owned, but uh, just a dream spot. Uh, if you want to uh, load up on expensive running backs this week, I actually think there are some situations where you can do that. But if you want to go uh, drop down a little bit, I think there's a clear cheap choice this week, and that's Darren Sproles. $5,100 on FanDuel, only $4,300 on DraftKings. He's played 80% of the snaps in consecutive weeks. Uh, the Eagles' Doug Peterson has came out and said that Darren Sproles is their lead back now. Um, only three running backs have played 80% of the snaps when active this year, Le'Veon Bell, DeMarco Murray, and David Johnson. So if Darren Sproles maintains that snap percentage that he's had over the last couple of weeks, um, he's really flirting with, uh, elite territory in terms of workload 16 plus touches in consecutive weeks including uh, seven plus targets per game atlanta ranks 30th and running back adjusted fantasy points allowed and they are one of just five teams that allow at least one full ppr fantasy point per touch to oppose opposing running backs uh, that's obviously a really big number if you're projecting your your guy for 15 to 20 touches um and he's getting a, a full point every time that's a pretty good floor to have most definitely love the Sproles calls. Sproles is carrying some of my zero running back MFL 10 teams. <laughs> uh, key stat, Le'Veon Bell's $8,100 price tag on FanDuel has not been lower since week 17 of 2013. TJ? Yeah, this isn't even my key stat. I'm just going to do a bonus key stat. Uh, I guess we're trying to keep up with Holka still. But Le'Veon Bell is averaging uh, 9.2 targets per game this year. Uh, only 18 wide receivers are averaging that over the last six weeks. So um, Le'Veon's like a top 20 wide receiver that plays running back right now. Uh, but my key stat, over the last six weeks, um, 
Only Melvin Gordon has a higher red zone expected value than Devontae Freeman. Red zone expected value is a metric that I created that I really like to reference. It basically just quantifies red zone touches instead of grouping them all together and tells us how many points we'd expect a player to score on those touches. Uh, But Freeman's converted just three of those 15 red zone opportunities into scores. Uh, We know we've seen him be a very efficient red zone scorer before. That's a number that tends to regress um, either to a a league mean or to a player mean, and it looks like Tevin Coleman's going to be out again. So I like Freeman's scoring opportunities. Yeah, and just quickly on Melvin Gordon, I mean, the breakout is happening. Yeah. it. I mean, the numbers were always there this whole season because he was getting so many looks in close, but these last few weeks, I've seen him break some tackles and make some runs that I just haven't seen from him previously in his career. I think it was the Atlanta game where it was a key fourth and short, and Melvin Gordon was just stopped dead in his track short of the the line to gain and he just broke a tackle and somehow picked up the first down and then last week um, in a crucial situation late in the game just broke a tackle and made like a 40 50 yard broke a couple tackles and made like a 50 yard run and that was really Gordon's problem earlier in his career he was kind of a guy who was just getting what was blocked and that was it but lately he's shown a lot more ability to uh, elude tacklers and get away and, and coming through really big and I I think he's only going to get better as the season progresses so like Gordon as well as uh, Devontae Freeman Uh, TJ DeMarco Murray's price I tweeted this earlier DeMarco was stuck on about two fantasy points at halftime last Mm -hmm. week against the Chargers and I believe I would assume anyway that that's kind of when the sites are finalizing their salaries for the next week because the salaries usually come out around the Sunday night game. So DeMarco Murray's price dropped $700 on both FanDuel and DraftKings, but he ended that game last week with about 20, 21 DraftKings points and 19, 18, 19 FanDuel points or so. Green Bay, we know they have a good run defense. They're allowing only 3.3 yards per carry, but at the same time, they are not impervious to giving up touchdowns. For example, we saw Frank Gore get in the end zone twice last week against them. How are you treating Murray this week? At He's only 7,400 on FanDuel, which mm-hmm. kind of seems ridiculous. Is he cash game viable for you, um, or how are you feeling about that considering the defense? I, I mean, if it was one of those weeks where it was really hard to find a, a running back, um, he would be cash game viable for me just because of the workload. Like that carries so much weight for me when I'm deciding who I want to play, even overrides matchups for running backs. Um, the, the 25 touches per game, uh, 80, 80% of the backfield work. You just can't duplicate that. Tennessee has uh, actually shifted to more uh, run heavy in the red zone where first three or four games they're actually one of the most pass heavy teams in the red zone so um even though demarco murray was a part of that getting red zone targets uh he's seen as many looks inside the 20 and especially inside the 10 as any running back uh the only reason that i would say no is just because all the expensive guys are really attractive this week um i mean i think melvin gordon david johnson um definitely Le'Veon, um even zeke um and probably this week probably play over DeMarco, um, but he's fine. I mean, if for some reason that's the puzzle that you build and he just fits perfectly into it, uh, I'm not against it. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think at this point, Murray's pretty much matchup proof. That's kind of how I thought it would go this whole season. I remember playing, having a ton of exposure to him in week one against the Vikings mm-hmm. when pretty much nobody did. And I think he came through with a couple of touchdowns. I think they run block really well. And especially on FanDuel, I'm fine with it because Murray is 7,400 and even a guy like Jay Ajayi is 7,800. Uh, Gordon's 83, Bell's 81, and, you know, Johnson's over 9K and Zeke is 8.9. So, I mean, if that's really the way you want to go with, with a cheaper running back or something like that, I mean, Sproles is always an option too, but uh, don't do not have a problem with Murray at all. Let's go to wide receiver. Antonio Brown is 8,600 on FanDuel, 8,900 on DK going against the Cowboys. Brown's FanDuel price hasn't been lower in over a year. Uh, I mentioned the Cowboys D will be without um, Claiborne, Church, and since the start of 2014, Brown has just been wrecking it at home. He averages 111.8 yards and 1.05 touchdowns at home. On the road, those averages dropped to 99 yards and .4 touchdowns. So over double the touchdown probability when Antonio Brown is at home. Pretty much always in play for me uh, when he's at home. And then Jordan Matthews, a guy I talked about last week. He is 5,900 on both sites. And he has 65 receiving yards and or a touchdown in seven of eight games this season. That's a high level of consistency. He leads the Eagles in target market share uh, at 24% and target market share inside the 10 at 22.2%. And his price has dropped 1100 on FanDuel since it's week five high of 7K. And it's dropped 1200 since it's week three high of 7100 on DraftKings, we always want to start to target those price drops as the season wears on, especially in cases like this where Matthews, he, he hasn't had many explosion games or blow-up games, but he's also been really consistent, and the Falcons rank 25th in wide receiver, schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, two wide receivers, and this game could be a really interesting one that could turn into a shootout, you know, Vegas that's what Vegas is telling us anyway. They have this game as a pick with an over-under of 50. So Antonio Brown, Jordan Matthews, those are my two guys this week. TJ? Yeah, I, I ran some numbers earlier in the week and um, always try to break things down uh, to, the, to the smallest level that I can when I have the, the time or the opportunity to. Um, Antonio Brown's been the most consistent week-to-week wide receiver uh, in terms of target share, whether it's been Landry Jones or Ben Roethlisberger, he's just consistently seeing that that 23% or 24% of the team target. So uh, even though there might be some guys that maybe have a higher target share on the season, um, we, there are players that could see some highs and lows, you know, maybe 40% one week and 10% the other week, uh, where Antonio, you just know what you're going to get. So I always love him in cash. Uh, my first wide receiver this week, is Alshon Jeffrey seventy two hundred dollars on Fanduel sixty seven uh, sixty six hundred dollars on DraftKings? The Bears are playing against the Buccaneers, who rank twenty eighth and wide receiver adjusted fantasy points allowed. Uh, I mentioned Jay Cutler quickly when we we're talking about quarterbacks. He's going to be back under center for the Bears uh, over the past two s- seasons uh, with Cutler. Alshon is averaging. Uh, just under six catches on about 10 targets for 89 yards and uh, just under half a touchdown per game, averaging 17 PPR points per game with Cutler. 
Uh, without Cutler, those numbers dropped down to about four and a half catches on eight and a half targets, uh, just under 64 yards, no touchdowns, and averaging about 11 PPR points. So pretty big splits with and without Cutler. Um, as the number one wide receiver, a.k.a. without Brandon Marshall, Alshon's commanded roughly 30% target share whenever Cutler's under center. So I, I really like going to him this week um, against a, a pretty vulnerable Tampa Bay defense. And then my other guy, and I was a little hesitant to uh, to write this guy up or talk this guy up, but um, just kind of hard to ignore the volume even though his quarterback's been underperforming. That's Emmanuel Sanders. 6,900 on FanDuel, 68 on DraftKings, uh, 9.5 targets per game over the last six weeks. He's uh, fifth on the main slate in terms of target market share, commanding about 26% of the targets over that time span. Only one of two players with 35% or more of the team's red zone looks in that time span. Brandon Marshall is the only other guy. And uh, very similar to Antonio Brown, he's been very consistent in terms of his market share numbers from week to week, not just overall. Uh, five of the last six weeks, he's seen at least 25% of the Broncos' targets. Three straight weeks, seen over 27% of the targets. And New Orleans ranks 23rd in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. We already talked about that this could be a shootout. So even if you don't believe in Trevor Simeon, uh, just such a concentrated passing game. It's Emmanuel Sanders and DT. They're still, it might not look like it. Um, because the vol- the numbers haven't been there in terms of fantasy numbers, but they're still getting a huge chunk of the passing game. And uh, I think uh, New Orleans is just vulnerable enough, and this game should be just high-scoring enough to let Sanders get those fantasy numbers that we'd like to see, given his volume. Right, and another thing about it with Sanders is I'm sure recency bias will affect people because last you know last week Sanders' numbers weren't great, but if you were watching the game Sunday night he almost made an incredible catch Mm -hmm. at the half yard line. And Mm -hmm. I guess the ball kind of moved when he hit the ground. So they ruled it an incomplete pass. But if he catches that pass, that's a 40 yard pass, potentially a touchdown catch right there. And his numbers look totally different. And then everyone's like, Oh, Emmanuel Sanders coming off a big game. And now he's playing the saints and he'd probably be, you know, 20% owned. So I do like the Sanders call. Key stat, Jordy Nelson is third in the NFL in red zone targets with 16. And he has scored a red zone touchdown in six of eight games this season. So 75% of his games, Jordy has scored a red zone touchdown. TJ? Yeah, even though I didn't do well last week, Jordy was like the easiest leverage play of all time uh, with Montgomery and Adams being so popular last week. So uh, one one spot I did actually get right. So I love that Jordy stat there. Uh, My key stat over the last six weeks, Stephon Diggs has accounted for 30% of Minnesota's red zone targets, but he hasn't converted any of those looks into scores yet. Yeah, and I think Diggs is a player to watch going forward because – I actually tweeted this out last week after the coordinator change from Norv Turner to Pat Shermer. One of the first things Pat Shermer said upon taking the job was that he wanted to get the ball into Stefan Diggs's hands a lot more quickly. And that came to fruition last week. Diggs had 13 catches, only 80 yards, but his average depth of target um, was very low. I believe it was around 3.0 and his average depth of target on the season before that had been around 11 yards or so. So, they there is a change in the way they're using Stefan Diggs and I think Rich Reber actually mentioned it too that you know if he starts seeing these Jarvis Landry like targets then we're just fine with that you know that 
that's a situation where Diggs can rack up a lot of high volume. He's pretty much the only thing that offense has going for them. You know, Kyle Rudolph will make his catches here and there. Cordero Patterson seems to be a little more involved, but it's it's really the Stephon Diggs show if they're gonna if they're gonna get the ball into his hands quickly. So, um, interesting guy to watch and may have to adjust expectations um, for him with the new OC. Um, Brandon Marshall is he's still second in the NFL in red zone targets. He's got 17. The Los Angeles Rams rank 30th in four for fours schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. So TJ, are you still trusting the process with a guy like Marshall or is the quarterback situation just too poor right now? No, I mean, I think um, I'd be pretty hypocritical if I steady preached my, uh, regression sermon and then didn't stick to Marshall uh, because like I mentioned he's leading the league in red zone target share over the last six weeks uh, he's a, I mean that stat we have such a small sample in NFL like like we say oh it's halfway through the season he hasn't done anything it's a wrap but it's like it's it's nine trials in or eight trials in if they had a bye week already we don't like these things can change on a dime and uh yeah Fitzpatrick's been really bad but Marshall is arguably or you know the best or at least top three red zone targets maybe in our era uh so he he, we know he can do it if any player can do it with a bad quarterback it's Brandon Marshall uh we've seen Fitzpatrick I mean he's that he's a high variance guy I mean it doesn't just apply to fantasy like his style plays very high variance and he's been on the wrong side of variance so far this year but that's going to lend itself to a lot of upside too so um this some this could turn around um overnight um probably one of the reasons that i've i've had not great gpp success this year because i've had a lot of marshall in a lot of my lineups and i'll probably keep doing it yeah and I think we we need a new thing called the BFF makeup game because Marshall and Fitzpatrick were seen arguing on the sidelines last weekend. Marshall was pretty much demanding the ball. So this week, we know Fitzpatrick plays better at home like a lot of quarterbacks do. So I expect him to force the ball to Marshall a little bit. Who knows if it'll work, but I agree with you there, TJ. I, especially when it comes to regression, when you're looking at a stat like red zone targets, I mean... Those leads to touchdowns, and touchdowns are worth a one-yard touchdown. Even is worth you know seven point one on DraftKings mm-hmm. and you know six point six on, on FanDuel, and those those can create huge swings. And if you get two of them, you're in business. So when you're looking at regression, especially when it's coming down to to red zone targets, that's something that I'll always try to exploit. So I agree with you there. Tight end, Antonio Gates, 5,700 on FanDuel, 3,900 on DK, going up against the Dolphins at home. Gates is fourth in red zone targets on this season uh, at 14, even though he's missed a couple of games. He's seen 10, 9, and 9 targets over the last three games. Hunter Henry's Week 10 status is in question after he didn't even get in any practice time last week. And his role is decreasing before his injury. Henry's last Four snap percentages were 82, 68, 63, and 56. And tight ends not named Travis Kelsey historically do better value-wise as a home favorite. And that's the position Gates is in this week. Gates, is, it's, it's ugly with Gates, but he might be one of the cheapest sources of touchdown equity 
in DFS because Philip Rivers just will force the ball to this guy in the red zone and Gates will make the catches. So Antonio Gates at home against Miami this week. TJ? Yeah, I love that call a lot. Um, my guy this week, and probably not a guy that I'm going to be rolling out in cash. I'm probably somewhere like in the Zach Miller range on cash, but guy that stands out to me, and I just want to talk about, is Jimmy Graham. $6,600 on FanDuel, $5,300 on DraftKings. We already talked about this game a little bit, New England and Seattle. We talked about Russell Wilson. Uh, Jimmy Graham's taken over the lead role. Uh, he leads tight ends and target share over the last six weeks. He's the only tight end seeing 25% of the team targets in that span. Leads tight ends and red zone target share, 36.4% over that span. New England's 23rd um, in tight end AFPA. Seattle seven-point underdogs, and uh, we know that's going to lend itself to passing. Uh, per our guy, Mike Clay, Seattle has the fifth-highest uh, pass rate when adjusted for game flow this year. So not only uh, is it a spot where game flow should lend itself to passing, but Seattle's just been pass-heavy team this year. Um, Doug Baldwin doesn't have a red zone target since week three, so if they are looking to score, they're looking Jimmy's way. Uh, over the last six weeks, only two teams running backs have accounted for a lower percentage of team touches in Seattle. Uh, they're one of four teams giving their running backs less than 50% of the touches. So they're going to come out with a pass heavy game plan. They're probably going to be behind. Uh, I do understand the caveat that, um, Belichick's going to take away the number one pass target, but, uh, just that volume, um, in a spot where I don't know if he'll be low on, but if he is, um, there's just too much pointing in a positive direction where I'll take the gamble on Belichick shutting him down in a few spots. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a risk, but at the same time, like you mentioned, there's a lot of upside there. I mean, we saw just the the damage that just the domination that Graham can achieve last week, you know, a couple of one-handed touchdown catches and he hurdled a guy. Um, straight cleared him. So, I mean, I think the ups, I think there, it's, it's a low floor and it's a high ceiling. I believe it was, was it 2013 or 14 when Graham got, uh, goose egg by the, it was a Patriots that they goose egged him once, right? Yeah, he has been goose egged by the, John Paulson actually put out a game splits app against, uh, <laughs> against, yeah. um, New England this, and he said he has one game in his career against <laughs> New England, one target, no catches. Oh, I think I thought it was. I think it's six targets, no catches. Oh, six. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. one yeah. game, one yeah. game. Yeah, so it's yeah, there's definitely some some floor risk there, but the upside is it's as high as any tight end on the slate, maybe except for Gronk, just because of the way Graham is physically dominating. Yeah, this could be the week where um where tight end and tight end and flex wins the millionaire. Jimmy Graham and Gronk could just go at it. it, it that could be that would be really interesting. Um, you heard it here first, guys. DFS MVP <laughs> Graham and Gronk. My key stat for tight ends, Zach Ertz set a season high in targets last week with eight and got multiple red zone targets for the first time all season. TJ? My key stat is about the guy that you talked up. Antonio Gates has seen at least 20% of the Chargers targets in four straight weeks, and he leads the league in red zone targets over the last six. Greg Olson has been one of the most consistent players at any position this season. Had maybe one bad game uh, with single-digit PPR points. What are your thoughts about him this week going against the Kansas City Chiefs? We know they cover tight ends really well with uh, Eric Berry. Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... It's pretty much auto fade tight end when they're facing uh, Eric Berry. And 
Greg Olson's consistency in terms of fantasy production is uh, a little bit misleading because if we look at all of the players that have accounted for at least 20% of their team's targets over the last six weeks, um, Greg Olson's actually been the most inconsistent in terms of week-to-week target share. Uh, So week five, he had 46% of the team's targets. Then we saw that number go down to uh, 15% by week, then 11%, then jump back up to 22%. So a little bit of volatility there. He's produced on those weeks with low target shares. But uh, not only uh, is it the Eric Berry factor, but uh, Cam Newton's not just auto-looking his way every week. Definitely, I agree. I really don't play tight ends against the Chiefs. I didn't even play Jack Doyle. That week he was popular because it was against the Chiefs. Um, you know they've just continuously shown to be able to shut the tight end position down. TJ, who you got at kicker this week? Uh, kicker, uh, go with the free guy, but probably the guy in the best spot too. Forty-five hundred dollars, Chandler Catanzaro versus San Francisco. Thirteen and a half point home favorite. Uh, 30 point implied point total believe it's the only team with 30 point implied point total san francisco's 30th in kicker afpa and uh, arizona plays indoors kind of i don't know if they, they open up the roof sometimes if it's nice but uh global warming so there's no such thing as weather concerns anymore not according to our new president <laughs> <laughs> and for my defense we're sticking right in the Perhaps open, perhaps closed building of the Arizona Cardinals. They are 5,200 on FanDuel, 3,700 on DraftKings. Going against the 49ers, the spread opened at 11.5 points. It's currently at 13.5 as of this recording. We'll see where it finishes, but either way, should be a double-digit spread in favor of the Cardinals as a home favorite. The 49ers are 19th in defensive schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. The 49ers are tied for the third most turnovers allowed at 17, while the Cardinals are tied for the fifth most forced turnovers with 15. For our DFS theory segment, we're going to talk about cash games and the profitability of them. TJ has dug up some very interesting numbers on the distribution of cash game scores on FanDuel and we're going to talk about the implications should we be changing our approach to lineup building and game selection so I'll just toss it to you TJ tell the listeners kind of what you did where you drew the numbers from and what it got you thinking yeah so um, when you travel in the middle of football season and you don't do content for a week you get time to sit back and think about weird stuff so that's what i ended up doing last weekend uh i i started running some numbers on head-to-head games over the last two years uh and this is based on a um an idea called the the paradox of skill uh pretty popular investing concept and basically the idea is that um as skill increases and results converge to the mean and and cluster in the middle or in other words deviations in whatever your sample is gets smaller uh, luck becomes more important in determining the outcomes of uh, whatever game or investment that you're uh, partaking in. And so uh, what that means is if, if we see a smaller range of outcomes or less variance, um, we're probably going to see much less uh, sustained or consistent success because no one is going to um, win as dramatically against the field 
if their skill level remains the same. Um, so that's just kind of what this idea is based on. And then in DFS terms, I'll try to break this down as simple as possible uh, without people actually having their eyes on it. So in 2015 on FanDuel, and this is uh, pulled from my results, which spans thousands of head-to-head games from the $1 to the $25 level. So uh, I think it's pretty good representation of the population. Um, average score in 2015 uh, was 115, uh, just over 115, 115.65, um, and with a standard dev- deviation of 24.5. 2016, 115, uh, just under 115, so really close, but a standard deviation of uh, 21.9. And I'll come back to those numbers. So looking at FanDuel head-to-head scores this year, uh, compared to last year, we see a marginally smaller average score, uh, but a somewhat noticeable smaller deviation in scores. And if we're looking at the distribution of scores uh, for both 2015 and 2015, we see distributions that on a graph, it looks like a somewhat normal distribution, uh, but we see much more clustering of scores near the average in 2016 and significantly fewer scores at the tails of these distributions. So that suggests that people are building cash game lineups uh, with less variation in them. Uh, in 2015, um, as I mentioned, the sample of these scores saw a bigger deviation and the average was pretty much the same, which resulted in a CV coefficient of variation, which we've used a lot to measure player consistency at 444, of 21%. Um, that's that number we want to focus on, the CV. And in 2016, if we look at the average of about 115, but the standard deviation of just 21.1, uh, 21.9, I'm sorry, that results in a CV of 19. So a smaller CV. So if the CV is smaller, that means scores are more, more consistent. So uh, the average DFS player seems to be putting out a more consistent uh, head-to-head score closer to the average. And additionally, because of the differences and variations of these scores, last year we saw just over 51% of scores fall below the average Fandle head-to-head score, while this year just about 49% of those scores are falling below the average. So um, when we're talking about distributions, even though the averages can be the same, we can see these numbers coming from a different place. So more uh, players are scoring above average this year, um, even though the average hasn't changed. So essentially, if you're a player that averages, I don't just whatever above the average, if you're averaging 117 Fandle points per week uh, so far this year, you're beating fewer opponents, even though the averages remain the same. Um, and in, in a game where percentage points um, in your win rate can have exponential impacts on your weekly results and variance, uh, this is really, really huge. Yeah, and a lot of interesting things there. So I'll just try to sum it up. Essentially, there are a lot more scores clustered closer to the mean. Like there aren't as many scores. Uh, scores on the high end and there but there also aren't as many scores on the low end so if you're kind of an average player you're probably not beating quite as many people as you would have previously and one of the things I wonder is if it has anything to do with ownership because I'm wondering if either there's been more chalk ownership and that's kind of producing these this distribution in 2016 that's closer to the mean whereas as the industry grows and as more people start consuming content that maybe the ownership for the highest owned players is increasing i'm not sure if that's the case i haven't looked at historical ownership rates for you know 2016 versus 2015 but another thought i had as you were saying that tj was that you're saying how 
you know, zero, there are more above average scores, but there is a, the, the distribution isn't quite as wide. I wonder if that's just due to the fact that this season, especially early in the season, the chalk was hitting a lot. And we know mm-hmm. in cash games, you know, that's where the chalk plays are going to see the most ownership. So I wonder if it's kind of just one of those sampling situations where maybe because we had a bunch of weeks early on that the chalk was hitting that since the chalk was hitting you know that kind of lowered the distribution but it and it and it um it 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 kind of if you didn't have the chalk you were kind of screwed with your with your average but um if if you did have the chalk um you know maybe you know that that led to a few more scores than usual being above average yeah i mean um so a couple things there is after we we finish this theory discussion i'm going to talk about a few caveats of this whole idea just because of exactly what you said because of the sample size um but yeah there, there's a little bit of uh like chicken or egg here because um if players are getting better that just means there's going to be more chalky plays because if we just think about the extreme if um if there's one optimal lineup and everyone found that lineup then yeah everyone's gonna have a lot more similar scores um but if they are doing that um even if whether the chalk is hitting or not hitting if a lot of people are having um uh, very similar lineups even if the chalk doesn't hit those scores are still going to continue to move kind of in unison because uh, there's not a lot of variation in lineups um so um probably um a little bit of chalk hitting a little bit of people getting better a um, little bit of ownership being higher and probably a little bit of noise but i think it's still interesting most definitely um so you had some more kind of points just about you know the, the distributions and stuff like that um, and the standard deviation. So why don't you go into that? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if we just assume that all of these things are true, if we assume um, that players are getting better, that scores are getting tighter, um, that the deviation is getting smaller uh, and w- what can you do about it? So there's a few options. Um, you can play fewer cash games. Uh, you can change how you build your lineups or you can hedge your lineup some more. So um, I'm just going to go through these options and, and I'll, I'll run through them quickly and then let you respond to them, Chris. So uh, play less cash games. So because the NFL is so unique in terms of uh, how many chances we get to play, just 17 weeks, um, I, th- I think playing fewer cash games might not be the perfect approach because there's only 17 weeks. If things go bad, um, it could go really bad. Whereas if NFL was, say, the length of the NBA season in terms of number of games, I might be playing like 50-50 cash first GPP because I could just run it back every single week, just play a smaller percentage of my bankroll. That could be disastrous with just seven. You can have a 17-game losing streak really easily. Um, maybe you can slightly adjust depending on your, your known skill level. So I'm pretty comfortable with playing even up to like 25% GPPs in a given week. But I also... Um, that's, that's risky for me, but I do have what I feel is enough of a sample size of reliable data that, uh, I've looked at my win rates in different games, average scores, uh, really taking the time to go through that process. Uh, I'm comfortable kind of where my rough break even point given my expected variance is. Um, so you're gonna have to weigh that yourself. I just don't think you can go too heavy in NFL. Um, you can change your lineup. So a few things you could do, and Chris, I know you'll have some points about this. Um, 
you can embrace more stacks. Uh, that's just a higher variance approach uh, to cash. It's something that early on in DFS we saw people really shine away from because you're trying to maximize that floor. But if scores are clustered together and you do need more luck or you can use the word variance, uh, then embracing those stacks more can give you more upside where maybe not everybody's doing that yet. Uh, if they are playing the chalk, maybe they're still just avoiding those stacks a little bit. Could be a small edge there. You could play some lower owned players uh, here and there. So if you have similarly projected players, if there is a guy that's going to be significantly lower owned, you can favor him in cash games. Uh, or you can pay up for volatile positions in really unique spots. So maybe an expensive tight end or wide receiver isn't in a perfect spot, but in a really good spot and not the chalk. Um, that can uh, give yourself a spot to uh, create more luck if, if luck is overtaking a little bit in cash games. Yeah, I think, first of all, just when it comes to stacks, I, I've never believed that you should shy away from stacks in mm-hmm. cash games. I personally don't. I don't create lineups with the intention of stacking but it almost always happens and that's because you're looking to exploit either the worst matchups or the highest vegas totals or some combination of that and what usually ends up happening is that if a team that is maybe an average team or something like that isn't a really great matchup they're probably going to have almost every player on that team will be undervalued and be a good value in cash games. And then if you have guys in just really great spots in, say, a passing game, then you're probably going to want a quarterback and at least one of his receivers is going to also be in a great spot. So I think stacking happens naturally, and it's for a reason, and I've had a lot of success um, just not really caring about stacking at all. Um, I just let the chips fall where they may because at the end of the day, you really are you in, in essence in cash games. You're just trying to, uh, you know, hit a certain type of at least, you know, medium above average, I should say above average score that allows you to, you know, hit the cash line in your 50 50s or GPPs or just win enough head to heads to be profitable in a given week. So, I mean, the best way to do that is to attack the best spots, the best mm-hmm. matchups, the highest team total. So. I'm really against the notion of that you shouldn't stack. Like, I understand it that you're trying to reduce, you know, you don't want a lot of correlation because, you know, then if if a team crashes and burns, then it it hurts your lineup in more than one spot. But the whole point of cash games in the first place is that you are looking to roster players on a team that has the least likelihood of crashing and burning in the first place. So I'm, I'm pretty much totally on board with stacking and then as far as playing lower own lineups i think that's a really interesting thing i I think more than even just pivoting off certain players if there's a a player in a similar spot that's lower owned i actually like that strategy more for gpps i think something a lot of people don't talk about in cash is you know just kind of playing a lower own lineup in general if that's a lineup that you that you feel comfortable with in cash i think every week there there tends to be a situation where as more and more people kind of consume content and are on Twitter and whatnot, there tends to, these, these quote unquote must play guys tend mm-hmm. to emerge. And for example, this week it's David Johnson, and I probably will be playing David Johnson everywhere in cash. Yes, because I just think that you can make lineups doing it, but 
I can also I can see a situation where, for example, on FanDuel, David Johnson's ninety four hundred. You know, I'm fine with playing Melvin Gordon at eighty three hundred mm-hmm. and Le'Veon Bell at eighty one hundred, and that would probably give me just a totally different roster construction than almost everybody else because they're going to play David Johnson. But mm-hmm. now I have you know salary that I can strengthen places where other people's lineups might not be as strong. So I think what happens in cash and the cause of some of these distributions is just that in a, in a given week, there's certain chalk plays. And once people insert those chalk plays, especially because those chalk plays are usually the most expensive, you can only, you only have so many options the rest of the way in your lineup. So if you make a mistake in one place and, you know, let's say you play like the wrong wide receiver, the wrong tight end or something, even though you had that chalk play, you know, you're, you're going to be, not in a good spot. So I think you people have have to at least consider, you know, just trying to make strong lineups where it's balanced, where the floor is going to be high and not just focus on, you know, jamming guys in because I think that's what ends up hurting a lot of people is they'll have a couple of the right guys that they jammed in, but they might not because, you know, not everyone has the same skill level, whereas uh, a pro or, or a shark or whatever, an expert might be able to still create a strong lineup while jamming a bunch of guys in. Some people with lesser skill levels might actually be better off if they just created a more balanced lineup and didn't feel like they we're forced to jam people in. So I think you kind of have to know as TJ, you alluded to just know your overall skill level and what you're able to do and look at not just your average score, your median score or whatever, but look at the lineups where you had the most success and look at the lineups where you maybe didn't have as much success and look at the lineup construction. Cause that's really what DFS comes down to. It's you're sitting there and how are you constructing your lines, especially in cash games, you know, in GPPs, a lot of times you can use something like the four for four lineup generator and you can pick a player pool and then create multiple lineups. And sometimes that works better for GPPs because that takes some of the emotion out of actually creating lineups. Whereas, you know, you once you narrow down your player pool in a GPP, if you can use a, something like a lineup generator, then you, you won't sit there and say, mm, I can't play this guy or I can't play these two guys together. I, I want to only play these two. Like, you know, if, if you're using a, a lineup generator, it kind of takes some of those those cognitive biases that might end up hurting you in a GPP where you usually benefit from the unexpected or 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 the um, or something that's not maybe as rational. But in cash games, I think you really do have to look at review your lineup construction and review where are you best are you best when you can when you're jamming in a bunch of studs and then building around that or are you more at your best when you're just kind of building maybe a little more of an unsexy lineup but it's a little more balanced from top to bottom you know that's something that i think everyone should um take into account yeah, and I, before I move on to to hedging your lineups, I do, do want to touch on one more thing, and um, I, I think that uh, people are a little uh, adverse to stacking like we talked about, and I do think there's a tipping point. I mean, sometimes if I'm thinking about playing three guys in an offense in a cash game, I get a little bit uncomfortable, but also you should be, uh, you should be price sensitive too, and I think people just see 
whatever Chicago in their lineup three times and get nervous. But I mean, if all those guys are men priced, I mean, that's an extreme example, but, uh, that that's arguably less risky than just stacking a quarterback with his, um, running back if they're maximum salary. So, I mean, we're trying to, um, minimize our margin of error and the more expensive our, our asset is, um, the, the larger that margin of, of error is going to be just because we're investing so much more. So, um, I think not just not shying away from stacking, but I think there are opportunities where, um, stacking, you could kind of protect yourself, minimize your margin of error. Uh, an example I thought of this week, and I probably won't end up doing it, but probably the most expensive asset you're, you'll own on, um, on your team this week is going to be David Johnson. Uh, and for good reason, but, uh, the the range of outcomes is big for any football player if um if the cardinals end up throwing for three touchdowns there's a good chance he doesn't hit his value uh one way you can minimize that value is by rostering him with a cheap carson palmer uh, again not saying i'm i, I could do i'm going to do that um but in theory that minimizes your margin of error so just some things to think about uh but Moving on to to the final thing that I mentioned about uh, what can you do, uh, assuming that all these assumptions we we made about uh, games getting harder are true. Uh, the final thing is uh, you can hedge your lineups. There's a few ways to do that. You can you can enter your your cash game lineups in large buy-in GPPs instead of uh, instead of just those uh, large field smaller buy-in GPPs. Even if you aren't a high stakes player um, and. Uh, on a weekly level, this can feel pretty dangerous because you're leveraging a lot more um, in your weekly portfolio in a given week. And obviously, if that doesn't uh, hit, you can have a bad week or a string of really bad weeks. But at the same time, uh, it only takes one time for that cash lineup to go off. And then you are already in a small field, something like, I don't know, the the um, the $150 power, power sweep on DraftKings. Um, just a three max game with only a thousand people. Those games, those lineups are are very close to just value heavy lineups, um, and you can win some really good money on those. And kind of just minimizing your quote unquote GPP um, uh, exposure um, or or distribution of money, but still uh, putting those lineups in in lieu of GPPs. Um, if you aren't playing very high volume, you could play. You should and could play different lineups in your 50-50s and double-ups. So, um, again, just kind of taking out some of that luck of a single lineup. And then you can also just play different games with your cash game lineups. You can play more uh, three-man or five-man games and just embrace that luck a little bit. Yeah, I always play my cash game lineup in in, in some GPPs and some other mm-hmm. contests because, I, I mean, if that's what you consider to be your optimal lineup, then you should be playing that lineup in – more than just straight um, cash games or mm-hmm. straight head-to-head to 50-50s. But on a topic of 50-50s, and I've said this numerous times before, we've talked about this, TJ, but I think people play 50-50s and double-ups wrong. If you're, I, I don't think playing them with one lineup is the way to go at all. In, not in NFL anyway, because you're just, there's 17 weeks, there's limited slates um, to play, and I just feel like if you're playing cash games in the first place, like those are your games where you're trying to minimize the risk, and I think I've just found a lot more found it a lot more sensible and had a lot more success just playing in head to heads, and that's how I'll get my variance, and that means I don't have to you know play more than one lineup. And then in fifty fifties, fifty fifties are kind of a situation, especially when you get into the ones with multi entry, where uh-huh. you know somebody could just put you know put a lineup in a hundred fifty times or whatever. 
I think 50-50 should be played more like if you're going to he- – because you can – you obviously want to hedge more in 50-50 because if you play one lineup and it, and it, and it tanks, then you're out you're, – you're with a $0 profit on your cash games. So you obviously want to hedge in 50-50s. And I think the way to do that or the way I found success is to just run my GPP lineups back – in 50-50s because even mm-hmm. with my GPP lineups, that's where I'm getting exposure to all these different plays in a given week that I think have a good shot at success. And so as long as I can you know, have X amount of my lineups beat that cash line, even if they don't cash in the GPP, if they can beat that cash line in the 50-50s, then I can hedge it to – I can play it in a way where I'm actually hedging um, some of my GPPs rather than hedging on cash games because my yes. cash games are taken care of by the fact that I'm playing head-to-heads versus – uh, various opponents so I can hedge on my GPPs by playing whatever I'm playing in GPPs I can play in 50-50s or, or double ups or whatever and even if my GPP lineup doesn't cash I can make my entry feedback or something like that by cashing in the double up or whatever so I mean it depends like that that's it might not work for everybody you know it obviously depends on your bankroll if you have a, a limited bankroll you don't want to just start throwing all these GPP lineups and a bunch of 50-50s maybe, but um, I found that it works for me, and I think that's kind of how you should play 50-50s regardless of what you're doing with GPPs. I think 50-50s, double-ups, anything with some some sort of a cash line, I think you should have exposure to uh, some multiple lineups. In addition to your main head-to-head or whatever lineup, I'm, I, I, definitely you can put that in, and you can even put that in at a higher exposure than some of your other lineups maybe if you feel that that's your best lineup. But overall, I think it's smart to... Uh, get a lot more diversity in 50-50s and double-ups than in head-to-heads. Yeah, I think one of the – and this is doesn't even really ha- directly uh, attribute to the subject we're talking about right now, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that new players make and one of the easiest ways to, to set money on fire is to think you're trying to play cash and then just blindly entering these multi-entry 50-50s or, or double-ups. Like, if – if it's multi-entry and just take an extreme example, say say it's only a hundred entries, but you have two guys that can uh, enter thirty-five lineups each. Like that's not your chances of winning aren't fifty percent anymore, um, and that's what's happening. We have these guys running like hundred fifty uh, lineup trains, and your odds aren't fifty-fifty; they're way smaller. So you have to adjust your lineups accordingly. Yeah, definitely great point. You know, it, it depends on, it's going to depend on this. You're putting a lot more in the hands of the skill level of a few opponents. You know, if mm-hmm. you're, if you end up in a multi entry 50 50 or double up with a lot of skilled opponents that are running lineup trains, then like, yeah, like you said, TJ, your, your chances aren't as good. And that's why players do enter those trains is because they know that, you know, if they're a skilled player and they have 150 lineups in, in a certain contest, and there's a lot of less skilled players they can they can make bank so um definitely a great point yeah so just to to wrap up everything we've been talking about here looking at the the changes in cash games and uh scoring scoring how scoring has been uh distributed over the past couple years and uh just some caveats that i want to touch on so this study does not uh, account for changes in pricing models but uh even if that is what's causing the the closer scores or the clustering. Um, the clustering effect should still lead to similar conclusions about how you should change your ap- approach. So um, even if the cause isn't what we think it is, it's still happening. Um, even if we even a full season of 
NFL data can be pretty noisy. So comparing last year to this year, um, there could be a lot of errors because we only have 17 samples. But at the same time, because it is NFL, we do have to adjust with a lot of unknown and imperfect information. So what it looks like is games are tightening up. So we should adjust. And the final thing is that this, all the stuff we've talking about, um, assumes that your skill level has remained constant over the course of whatever time period you're looking at. Um, but again, that's a, that's a really hard thing to know in NFL. We, we only get a few weeks to, to try to figure it out. So it's easier to sample the population than to sample your own skills simply because of sample size. So uh, even though I would like to think I'm getting uh, better every week, it might only be marginally better. It might only be a 0.1 uh, point on my FanDuel score better per week, which isn't enough to uh, just keep going with the same exact approach. Most definitely great way to wrap it up. Um, you want to quickly talk about Roster Coach, TJ? Yeah, uh, Roster Coach is a site that I founded that really focuses on the process of DFS. Uh, just shows you exactly what experts like Chris and myself are going through every single week. Uh, how we're managing our player exposures. How we're narrowing down our player pool. Not just telling you players that we're looking at. Um, you just get a it's a chance to glance over our shoulder basically and look at my computer while I'm while I'm working throughout the week. And uh, if you want to take it even further, we do offer uh, one-on-one DFS coaching. It's a really great way just to uh, expedite your DFS research or learning uh, process, whether you're um, trying to do this for a living and, and want to know our day-to-day process or you just have a, a busy week and need to uh, have a crash course for an hour. Um, we really just adjust the... Uh, style of coaching to to the player and we've seen some really fantastic results so far um a lot of people coming back and uh doing it multiple times because it's helping them make money and uh, i think um people are really enjoying the the opportunity and i'm definitely enjoying it i know chris is so uh check out rostercoach.com um check out the videos or you can sign up for one-on-one dfs coaching yeah, definitely a fantastic site. Also want to remind you guys once again to go to the 4 for 4 homepage and on the right-hand side you can get into the 4 for 4 DraftKings Championship qualifier. The championship will be held um, later on this season, so make sure you get a seat to that. Um, and check out 444's DFS subscription. The price has dropped to $59 for the rest of the season. So if you've been thinking about subscribing, but the initial uh, price was a little too high for you, um, there is a discount now and you can actually get a little more of a discount. If you check out my pinned tweet, I am at Chris Raybon. That's C-H-R-I-S-R-A-Y-B-O-N. And also make sure you guys follow TJ at TJ Hernandez, that's T-J-H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. Puts a lot of great information on his Twitter account uh, relevant to fantasy and DFS all day, almost every day. So uh, make sure you follow us both on Twitter. We really want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening. We really appreciate all the love, all the positive feedback, and we would appreciate any um, reviews or retweets. Um, Really, really have a blast doing this for you guys. So keep tuning in, and we'll keep bringing the heat for you guys. Any last words, CJ? We're about to get shmoney up in here. <laughs> Let's get this shmoney.
choose to rhyme. Rhyming chose me, so I hit the track running like a nosebleed. Life ain't great now, but it's much improved. Yo, album dropping this summer, that sucks for you. Cause this is Bubba's moment, I put my mother on it. I said my mama, it seems as if I love her, don't it? So buckle up, cause it's gonna get bumping. I call my girlfriend's Bettis, and my s*** is That Bubba talk, got you open wide. I giggle outside the booth, but ain't no joke inside. This is complicated, at least to y'all it is. Just let me sell 50 million, then I'll call it quits. But until that day, y'all in deep do. I never once saw you cranking, cause I just sleep through you. What you need to do is just admit you love me. The South has always been dirty, but now it's getting ugly. Yeah.